House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, and we've got Chris Kringle in ah. <laughs> as the yes. co-host today. <laughs> Have you been a good boy, Al? No, I haven't. <laughs> I've been a good boy doing bad things. How's that? Ah. I've been a bad I know, boy it's doing good things. I have my list. <laughs> oh, and who's naughty and nice? <laughs> nice. That's yeah. right. I'm on the That's naughty right. list, hey? Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I know how that goes. Yeah. Well, if you get on the nice list more mm. times than the naughty list, doesn't that count? Or something? Yeah, yeah. Of course it does. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, it better, or I'm going to tell. I know this yeah. Santa here, this Chris Kringle drinks whiskey, so. Yes. Yeah, no cookies, whiskey. Well, I'll, I'll take some cookies, too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah forget that you never say no to cookies. Let's, let's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, come on. You can leave out cake, cookies, anything by the, by the tree, and he will take care of it. You know, he'll I'm bring jolly. it back to the reindeer. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he's such a caring yeah. man. <laughs> and the elves. Yeah, them too. Elves on the <laughs> shelf. Well, let's see. Now, today, this is the uh, final show before next week. Next week, we've got all live music with, um, let's see, Adrian Christian, who's got the top yep. ten song right now called Midnight Will Be Clear. And he's done a couple of versions, and as well as he's got, like, a video, and then we've got... Uh, uh, Sudi Caritas, who writes a lot, plus he's done a Christmas movie, and um, oh, Jolly Roger UK fan, ah. who has got a new single out for Christmas as well. So we've got all that live next week, and they're going to talk about their experiences and writing and all sorts of fun. So don't miss it. I won't. Yeah, you won't. You better not. I'm going to quiz <laughs> you. I'm going to make sure you you follow. You're I'll be cool. tuning in. Hmm. Tune in, drop out. Okay. <laughs> okay, so now today for the uh, final episode of thrillers and writers and all that sort of stuff, we've got the great DC Gomez. So thank you for being here. Hello, gentlemen. I'm so glad to hear. Oh, I've never been introduced as the great. That's a good one. Well, it's great. <laughs> you're, I mean, this is your second second book in this. Now you're going to talk about The Traitor, and this is The Order's Assassin. Book two, so I mean that's great. It is so much fun. Yes, it's so much fun. It's so exciting, and this series is going mayhem and madness like no other. So it's exciting. Yeah. So there you go. See. So you're great. Love it. Let's talk about the premise of the series first. So someone that has never heard about this, the first book, or didn't hear your first interview, and doesn't know anything about this. So what's the premise of the series? The Order's Assassin is a kind of off of my intern diary series. So you're looking at urban fantasies to the core. So any fans of urban fantasy, magic, and the real world mashed together, this is a series that I want to pick up. One of the things you have is at the end of Judgment Day, beginning of the, um, the, the Hitman, one of the things that you find is that the order of witches was betrayed, and they have no idea how bad the infiltration was going. Eric, who is our main character, has been tasked and recruited to kind of weed it out, figure it out. They think they have the main traitor identified, 
but he's a snake in the grass and they can't find him. So the hitman introduces you to the character and, you know, the main idea is like, oh my God, they almost had him. Oops, didn't quite work out. So in the trailer, you have Eric going to Salem. So for any Salem fan, I'm originally a Salem girl. We're going home to the headquarters of the witches, of course, to kind of figure out what is going on here. Eric thinks he knows what's happening and every twist and turn <laughs> gives him a different shenanigans that he's not expecting. We have a shifting assassin who hates being an assassin. So now they have been hit as well. So we have traitors everywhere that are trying to figure out how to fix. Wow. The whole place is full of traitors. Jeez. Salem, you're a Salem girl. So is Salem a good place to live, or is it scary, or is it to have weird vibes about Salem because of all the witch history and all that stuff? Being an immigrant and moving to Salem was probably the best experience of my life. Because it's probably one of those cities that is most eclectic and welcoming. And hey, when you burn people at the stake, you cannot be discriminated against <laughs> people. Let's be honest. You have to embrace everyone. You already have a bad history. You can't just try to promote that again. So Salem has made a very open and understanding that, yes, horrible things happen here. This is not who we are. The vibe is very tourist. It's very historically focused. Growing up, I thought the rest of the United States was this way. I thought everybody knew about the Salem witch trials. I thought everybody was following the American Revolution, and they knew about Conquer and all these things that are so huge in Massachusetts. And then when I went out of Massachusetts, went to school in New York, and then joined the military, I'm like, nobody knows and nobody cares. Like, this is a very New England feel. So it is like living in a postcard. Everything is gorgeous. Granted, it's cold a month of the year, but it is a whole different world that most people don't know. Wow. Well, does this take place in a uh, in, in a modern Salem? Is it is it uh, an alternate Salem? Um, how, how do you work with that? For me, when it comes to urban fantasy, I'm going to pick modern days. And as long as the cities don't change too much in the, <laughs> between when I wrote it and the books, you can take a tour of the town following the book and realize, oh, that house is still here, or that business is still here, that hotel. So for Eric, his home or a penthouse is going to be the waterfront hotel but it's a real hotel by the waterfront in Salem so I will give you as many real places involved some of them are going to have a different twist so do not try to go to somebody's basement thinking you're going to find this underground <laughs> bar because it's not fair I hope maybe <laughs> so I did lots of research and here's the backstory for a trader for everyone in this series a couple years ago when I started writing I told my mother hey I'm going to write a book in Salem. Like, That's great. You need to write a book at home. And I had it. So fast forward a good 17 books. I have nothing in Salem. So my mom goes, so when is that book in, uh, in Salem going to take place? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you remember that. So here we are going home to Salem to the Order of Witches. And because I was doing a book in Salem, I dragged my mother for like five hours to go walking around Salem, taking pictures and researching with me. So, yeah, so she was, I'm hoping, amused, but at the same time, she's like, that's not what I had in mind. I was like, hey, you said you want a book. You're coming with me. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> did, you, did you yourself find it changed a lot from when you were younger com compared to when you were putting together the book? Everything changes in terms of perspective, and I think we all can relate. If you ever go back to your middle school, your high school, I'm like, why does this building doesn't look as big as I remember? Salem had that feel, everything didn't feel nearly as big or intense when I was growing up. Like as an adult, I was like, huh, 
that's a lot closer than I thought, or that's not nearly as exciting as I remember. So it changes the perspective. The magic of the city is still there, no pun intended. It is still a city that can capture the imagination. It is the same thing about most New England cities. You have modern cities where these buildings have been there since 1600, and you're having to take a step and go in. Wow, like how the time just kind of stands still just by the architecture of the place. Wow. So how do you address um, all of your witches and demons and you've got shifters and you've got all these things in there? Are you are you the um, using the standard kind of way that these characters act in, in a lot of other fantasies or do you have your own sort of technique? I pull from what is traditional to most readers. So I want them to still believe the essence of what's very traditional. I do, I have vampires in my series, and my vampires are not sparkly. Sorry, they tend to be beast and mean, and they're going to destroy you. So my demons are hideous. It, it is much more on the darker side. If you're thinking of fairy tales, I'm definitely more of a grim girl than a Disney. I have to admit that. So I don't have gore everywhere, but my... Characters tend to be a lot darker in nature, so I do a lot more the dark humor. When it comes to their powers, I try to stay somewhat to the traditional. Like, I do believe vampires are going to destroy the sun. Your demons are still going to get destroyed by holy water. And your angels will still be sparkly with beautiful wind and gorgeous. So I tend to kind of play with that. How do your shifters work? What, are they, what can they shift into? The clan of assassins that I have here can actually pick. So they're very much a notorious clan. I have given them extra powers. But this clan of assassins, they're able to actually regenerate. So my main characters can shift into any of the felines that she chooses. She prefers felines to anything else. So she can go from a panther to literally a cat if she wishes. But if she can lose a limb, it will eventually grow back. The only thing you can't really lose is your head and it's shot it hard but they tend to have a much more healing power faster health as long as they can shift to an animal form. They all get to pick, at least in this tribe, in this clan of assassins, what they can be, but they all have a preference kind of in their animal. Wow. Now, so when you're writing these characters, especially like the darker characters, so you're writing, you say that your vampires are dark and they're going to they're gonna be mean and kill you and demons are, are kind of gross and all that. So when you get into the head of these these um evil characters or these darker characters and you have to write their dialogue and write out kind of what they're thinking and they're going to do. Um, how does that affect you or do you have a problem doing that or how do you get into it? One of the things that I look at my characters is that nobody's fully bad or fully good. So there's always those shades of in between and that I think that makes them much more believable. So what they do in terms of whether you're looking at your protagonist or antagonist is in their mind they think they're doing the right thing. So when you're looking at somebody's motive, you're going, they believe they're right. They believe this is the righteous way to go. Their approach and dimensions tend to be very gruesome. So as long as you're looking at your characters and saying, you know, what is their motivation? What is their object desire? What is their intent? You don't tend to feel as dark and evil when you're writing. One of the things that I do have, and I kind of joke when I started writing my fantasy series, it has a very much connotation in the theology world. So I found myself literally sitting on my couch and I was writing a scene where they were going to hell. And I swear I looked at the up and I was like, Father, please forgive me. I'm just writing this. Please do not send any of these things to my house. And then I kept writing. Like I have done prayers to myself. And I was like, I, I don't want this in my house. I'm just going to write about it. Whatever happens in that world, I don't want to be involved. 
Well, there you go. Now, now your your former cop and witch, uh, Eric. It, now you've taken him from another series and put him into this series. Is that correct? Yes. Say when you do that, do you do you 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 have to kind of remember and take everything that that character was and make them work in this new setting, right? One of the fun things about it is that I have done is I created a universe. So this is the Reaper's universe. So I'm able to pull not just his backstory, but also his friends. So you get lots of cameos from the other series. So people who love those characters can get a taste. I have had people that said, oh, my God, I can't believe you brought Bartholomew back. Granted, Bartholomew in this series is supposed to be a hot 20-year-old. And they're like, ew, I'm still seeing the 11-year-old little boy. I was like, okay, calm down. So you get to bring a lot of those elements. And a lot of the things that made that series fun that people fell in love with just continuing to a different kind of montage, if you want to look at it that way. How do you keep track of your characters and the events, you know, that, that go over, you know, all these different books? Do you, do you have tools that you use? Do, um, do, do, are you able to keep it in your, in your head as you're writing all this? How does that work? She's a witch. <laughs> use a whole bunch of magical powers to keep it all straight. <laughs> exactly. I wish I had that much power. I am fairly kind of strange. I have a whole bunch of note cards. So a lot of my specific details, I have note cards to do, depending on what I'm writing. For for the trader, I literally had to go back and read the hitman and make sure that where I was taking my characters are in the same track. Fortunately, I have an amazing editor because I think I started one with like her hair was brown and then I said black and she's like, I thought her hair was this color. I was like, whatever you say, we're going to go with you. Yes, that sounds like a good color. Did you start by creating your universe first? Is that kind of how you do this? At one point in my life, I honestly thought I was a plot writer, that I was very plot driven. I have been unfortunately informed by many people that I'm very character driven. So my universe and my characters get created as the story develops. I usually have probably an opening scene or something happens that triggers this, oh my God, this would be a fun thing to do. And then I take the characters kind of on this wild ride. My universe tends to be whatever location I have been. So I have been many different parts of the country and in the world, so I kind of take people in those adventures with me. Wow, it's interesting. So what do the people of Salem think of your books? It is really, really funny because I've never done a show back home. I'm scheduled to do one in September of 23. I've gotten tons of feedback from a lot of the people that are still there that knew me. They're like, I can't believe you're a writer. Now that they're shocked, but they're much more impressed of the fact that I'm like this little girl that came here that grew up in the school is now writing. So it has been such a beautiful love from, from that community to the fact that I'm creating and they're embracing it. Well, that's good, you know. And um, do they like your portrayal of what of how you kind of describe and, and use Salem? I haven't heard anything bad, so I'm taking it as a yes. That's my theory on that one. Nobody has sent me hate mail yet. No news is good news. I, I'm going with that theory. That sounds like a great master plan. So your witches, um, how do you describe them? Are they are they evil as well, or are they, out, are they more um, earth-tone witches that are more spiritual? Like, how do you describe the witches? They have a little bit of everything. You have the ones who want to heal, do magic, and be good, and want the prosperity of everyone. And you have the ones that want world domination and power. I think that's kind of any human or any power of being so you get to have all of it virginia who happens to be the head of the order 
would have given her soul away to a demon if that would have meant to protect her people. So that gives you a perspective of they want the best for their people at whatever cost, and sometimes the cost might be more than they can handle. So you have a community of a little bit of all the pieces that makes us human. You have the ones who are power hungry. You have the ones who are just looking for love and everything in there. How do you write about magic uh, within, within your books? Do you create your own magic system? Do you pull from mythology? Um, or, or is it more uh, just uh, from, from traditional uh, things that you've read? The magic is kind of tricky because I'm still doing urban fantasy. So I still have to have stuff that while it is powerful and exciting, I have witches doing fireballs. I have witches throwing energy across the room. I have witches that can do tracking spells. So it is a little bit of the tradition and a little bit of the mythology in terms to kind of pull it off. Because with urban fantasy, we're not doing epic. So I still have some of the constraints of the real world. I still have gravity that I have to work with. So I have to be able to explain it without making it sound so whimsical that nobody buys it. You know, so I have to be able to translate. So like when my shifters go from human to animal, do they have clothes? You know, they, are they where do the clothes go? So that's kind of one of the things is that they always shift back to naked. So they have to be like, where do I put these clothes? I'm having <laughs> to create these scenarios that there's a bag somewhere with the clothes in her car because when she's shifting, she's just naked. Hmm. Where are you go? Have you... Have you ever thought about it? I get you go from human to animal. Like, does the fur become your clothes or does the where do the clothes go? So, for the sake of not having to deal about how does your body make clothes, you just don't have clothes. And if they're shifting and they have clothes on, the clothes get ripped to pieces, and then they're naked still. So, yeah. I like the naked part, but that's okay. That's... <laughs> it works really well. Yeah, it does. Now, urban fantasy. Now, for a lot of people, what what is urban fantasy and what's the difference between that and epic when you talk about that so listeners that don't quite understand that so when you're thinking of epic you're going to think of Lord of the Ring or the Wheel of Time for people who are kind of looking at it you're looking at an entire new universe a new planet that has his own laws and histories and everything else so you're looking at a world that the writer has created that is outside our planes it might have similar things. You can have some mountains. You can have whatever you want to describe it. But it's still bigger than life. Everything deals within the magical. And usually magic is widely accepted and known for everybody. Urban fantasy takes it of the fact that you are in the real world and that everybody does not know about magic, for the most part. If you listen to the Dresden Files, if you follow Jim Butcher, who's amazing, you know, his main character, you know, Dresden actually has been announced in the Yellow Pages as a witch wizard. So, or even the Harry Potter series, you know, Harry Potter to some extent is a little bit of the, yes, it's young adult, but it's very urban fantasy because it still has a supernatural community that's embedded within the real world, but humans don't know about it. Well, why do the humans never know about it? Do they just never see them? <laughs> it's a combination of what the mind can process. I think for my series is if you really look underneath the reality, will you find it? So one of my, I interviewed this amazing author who is, a witch, that's kind of his definition. And he said, is it really magic or do we call it religion? So anybody who's Catholic, you know, you're praying to saints and you're praying to all these things. And that to us is a miracle. Well, if you switch the language, is it a miracle or are you making, you know, petitions and spells? So whatever you want to look at it is kind of a term and definition. So for the humans in my series is there's different layers. 
And it's what can your mind process? What can your mind handle? And a lot of the times the human mind cannot handle the mysterious and the unknown and the things we cannot process. You can blame science. You can blame where we're at. But we're not as believing as we used to be. We don't, we're not in the times of author where we believe that Merlin can come in and save us. Right now we're like, so you can do magic. Well, do you have a Vegas show that I can go watch? Because, yeah, that's what I think about it. <laughs> so so at the, at, at the end of the day here, in general, in an urban fantasy too, there's, there's always a, a challenge. It's, it's, it's someone's got to go through something and um and get out of it you know they've got a a large something that they have to go through a change um what how do you how do you decide what you're going to do with your character like like when you've got eric i'm always as a writer have a lot of the mystery functions in my writing like, I want people to evolve, and I want them to do stuff. Like, I can't just have magic for the sake of magic. Like, something has to happen in this. So for Eric's main mission is literally to go find the traitor and bring them to justice. You know, at the end of the day, he believes in right and wrong. He believes in good and evil. He believes that he can make a difference. He's been questioning after doing the job for 18 months and not getting any results. and starting to question his judgment. But still, he believes that there is rightness in the world, that things can be right, that people can be safe. And he's in the story about 175 years old. So he's seen the goodness of humanity. He's seen the bad of humanity. Now he has to come to his own demons and accept the fact that he has pretty bad judgment in women because he refuses to be vulnerable. And that's kind of where you're looking at his own arc and his own ability to grow and trust. So in general, too, they're, they're usually a good versus evil, sort of. Yes. You're looking at, and I guess good versus evil or bad guys, good guys, whatever you want to look at it, there's always that search. There's always that place where we're trying to get better and trying to figure out what's happening out there. So Eric has a mystery. He's trying to figure out why the order was betrayed and even more who actually was behind it. So when you do this, like I, I, I imagine now, because you were talking about, the characters and some of the and how you're starting with it and how the world develops so do you know how far you're going to go with this series it's interesting because i have certain stories that i want to tell for some of the characters that have not been addressed i have a standalone one from the new intern that took over so that's something that i'm interested in bringing out because bob has his own storyline that i want to play but it comes back to what is Bob looking for? So it's just to make a story for the sake of it is not my ideal fun. Like, I really need to have him have a mission, like you said. Like, he needs to be doing something. So I have an interesting beginning to that story. Now I'm trying to figure out why is Bob on this poor mission besides me trying to torture him. Now, do you end up with a favorite character when you finish a book like this? More like a favorite family, if that makes sense. There's When I was writing Judgment Day, I found myself over 20 to 30 characters all interacting with each other and it became very much who gets more airtime than the other like which one is your favorite child like who gets more attention did I talk about this person that I left this one hanging so I find myself that sometimes you don't have a favorite character you just have a favorite plot you're trying to follow and how to get them in and out well, well how does this work for you then or how are you dealing with characters do you and how do you go through the scenarios do you 
um, do it all in your head or do you kind of write it all out or do you actually dress up in a witch's gown and play the characters? Like, what's what's the process? Here? I would love to say that I get dressed up and walk around my house with a wand and swing in my arms. That would be amazing. I'm not that fun. I'm kind of boring. I'm sorry. I did. Yeah, I am. I'm a little boring. A lot of the things, I do move my hands a lot to make faces when I'm typing and creating the story. Yes. If you see me around in like a cafe, I'm kind of scary because I look like I'm having an epileptic seizure, like all the waving around. So that's a little scary for people. But in terms of when I'm looking at my timelines, I tend to do lots of little sticky pads in terms of making sure that I'm getting my time frames correctly. Because I am playing in the same universe that other stuff is happening. I have to be careful that they don't overlap and conflict with each other. Well, how do you create your dialogue? Do you uh, have an inner monologue? Can you hear those characters? Do you, do you have a different way of doing it? Only for the first series, the intern diaries, everything was in the voice of Isis. So everything was very first person. So you got to hear her entire inner, inner dialogue. For over fantasy, it's very common for, for the entire series to be written in first person. I have switched it up and done third person for Eric. And for whatever reason, a lot of my novellas tend to go into the third person. Just I like it. It's kind of fun. But when I do have to add that inner monologue that comes with urban fantasy, most of those are in italics. Like every once in a while, you do need to hear their thoughts and say their most insane commentary, how ridiculous they think a situation is. Like when you write books, why do you, why do you write them? Like what, what do you hope people get out of them and, and what is what is it that you get out of it my immediate goal is always to help people escape you know every book has an underlying theme whether i'm talking about social commentaries whether i have an idea that i want them to ponder but if they get it great if they don't that's okay too my writing can be anywhere from a young adult in high school to any age adult so i'm not looking to push a theme i do want people to get lost in these stories I want them to connect with these characters and make them part of their family and find a piece of them in these characters. I want people to be able to say, yeah, that was messed up, but I would have done that. So I want them to have something that, you know, for a couple hours out of their days, because life as a whole can be so excruciating painful that they can escape. For me personally, I can honestly say, and it sounds a little bit very, very cheesy, but there's nothing I can do about it. There is a hole in my soul when I'm not writing. I am usually the happiest, the most creative when I'm involved in a story, when I'm pondering, when I'm brainstorming, whatever that might be. I get lost in my own universe. I get lost in my head. And I find myself extremely, besides ecstatic and happy, just calm. Like nothing in their everyday life affects me. I'm major things. I'm like, oh, it will be okay. So I find myself very in touch with the universe when I'm writing and just very content to be part of it. So I hope that comes across and people just can get lost in it and enjoy it what do you consider a good book a good book is one that you lose time and didn't realize you were there for three hours how do you know when your book is 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 ready like is there a clue or a certain feeling or is there certain how do you know when it's done Oof, that's tough one now when the story itself is done and i can let it go yeah like how do you know when it's like wow that's it I am a planner. Like, I would like to tell you that I pants and I sit there and inspiration comes to me. It doesn't. My muse leaves me about page 30 and doesn't come back. So it's me left in a blank page. So usually I do lots of outlining and defining my books prior to writing. 
So by the time I hit the page, I'm pretty about 75 to 80 percent sure how this story is going to end, even before I start writing. So I I know prior to starting where the story is going to go and how it's going to get there. You need to send one of those witches or vampires after that muse and bring them back. <laughs> Thank you, because I don't know where she yeah. goes. I'm like, are you coming back? Because this is not going yeah. well. You can get Witch Hazel out there and just get get on her. <laughs> get get that straightened out, I'll tell you. Um, Thank yeah. you. Well, you know, get on that. That's what we do. Where do you get your um, accessory characters? Like, you know, when you have certain shifters or demons or witches, like ones on the side that are there to do things, but they're not major major characters. Where do you get them from and, and, and their personalities? How do you find that? For the traitor, it's kind of crazy, and I hope my family's not listening. <laughs> I have been pulling, yeah, let's be honest. I have been pulling a lot of the characters from my family. So my shifter assassin happens to be a family of Dominican. So I have been pull. I have a huge family, thank God. So I have been pulling a lot of the qualities of that side of my world, being able to look at my family and say, okay, if my cousin was doing A, B, and C, or if my uncle would have done, my aunt would have done, how would they react? So I'm able to put from not so much the person, because I think that becomes a little bit way too sensitive and sentimental for people, but more or less their qualities or their mannerisms or what they say, how they talk. I wrote a short story for an anthology, and one of the reviews said, you know, there was too many people, I got confused, and I was like, oh, you never been to a Spanish family. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was one of those things. It could have been a negative, but all I could do was giggle because I was like, okay, point accomplished. That's what it feels like, that immense amount of chaos going on while you're trying to, let's say, run a wedding party or an anniversary. Is You have one job, and there's 50 people all screaming in your faces that have nothing to do with anything, and you're going, ah. Oh. So that comment probably made me giggle more because I'm like, amen, welcome to a Dominican family. This is what you get. Why do you think you've gotten into writing this? Like, this is something you've uh, always dreamt about, like this type of writing of, of urban fantasy and kind of, and you've, and you've involved the paranormal. Do you have a lot of paranormal history or experiences uh, or something? Where do you think this all comes from for you? If you ask my mother, she would say absolutely. Since I was in cradle, I would have been, according to my mother, my grandmother that passed away came to visit me when I was young and we would play. And I was like, that's kind of creepy. Don't say that to anybody. Thank you, mother. So <laughs> it's a little more than anybody can handle. I have always been, I think many of us, very curious about, A, the afterlife. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a purgatory? Are all these things really there? Is there another world we don't understand is there ghosts do we talk to them so writing about it is kind of indulging my curiosity it's kind of exploring that if this really happened if i could have my way in my universe and be queen for a day which is what happens when you're a writer this is what that world will look like and it's not pretty it doesn't have to be shiny pearl gates and everything else it's kind of messy and it's a beautiful reflection of who we are as a society but there's still goodness in them, and there's still hope, and there's people still trying to take care of each other. So I have this infatuation for the what if. The paranormal is the what if. What if these things were really taking place? What it would look like? Well, it's, it's interesting, hey? Well, there's um, a lot of horror elements in urban fantasy. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, why you went towards um, urban fantasy instead of horror. Is, is there a... 
it was just uh, kind of what you were uh, geared towards through through uh, reading, or uh, is there another reason? So, confession for the day. I never saw the horror elements until somebody tried to put my books in that category. And I'm like, I'm too goofy and this is too funny because I have, <laughs> yes, I have such a dark sense of humor that I never saw the darkness in it. I just, you know, I have an entire book and another series coming out that is about zombies. And everybody's like, that is such horrible, you know, they're so dark. And I was like, <laughs> you haven't read my books. I'm like, what? I was like, I have zombies cutting the lawn and doing landscaping. I was like, we're not talking the same thing. And they're like, oh my God, girl, how does your mind function? But it was very different in terms of how do you take something that for most people has such a dark undertone and make them funny and make them humorous? Because when you take away some of that mystique and some of those elements, it makes you really want to giggle. So I have had people that send my books. They're like their summer beach books. I was like, huh, not what I would consider, but thank you. I have many people that send me messages like, oh, my God, I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, good, because I was laughing when I was writing it. So it has the elements, just not in the same way most people would ever expect to see it. Do you, do, I guess you kind of have to plan where you're going to be uh, humorous in the book. It comes across, at least to me, probably because that's how I live my life, and it makes people a little bit nervous, especially if you have to deal with, you know, hospitals and police officers. It makes life a little difficult for my friends. But everything to me can be a little funny. So the characters' interactions, when it should be tense and very, very dark, there's always somebody that has, you know, that, beat of comedy that just makes you go oh god like did you say that out loud so it is a lot of the straight guys so eric happens to be very intense very focused and trying to get what he's looking for his mission and his bad guy and then everybody else around him i'm not taking life as seriously as he is so he should left to like look at this from a whole different perspective just want to shake his head like oh my god where am i well with the humor do you need to you know, kind of like a sense of comedic timing uh, to write uh, humorous uh, prose, or um, is it, uh, do you do it in some other way? To some extent, you have to. You have to have a sense where it will fit or else. And it's interesting because it comes a lot more natural to me than I have previously imagined. I do fantasies as well as I do fiction, and one of my favorite fiction books is a Cat Lady special that I wrote. And she has an entire discussion about, and I'm going to tell you, gentlemen, so you can kind of, I thought it was hysterical. I, my readers really much enjoyed it, but she has an entire commentary. She's, Angela is 45, and she's going to go meet her mother and her mother's friends who are like 70 and 80s. And she walks in, you know, she's having a depression moment. She's a little bit not what a southern lady should look like, so she's a little hot mess. And these older ladies look at her like, Honey, have you been sick? And she's like, well, she's like, mm, you're a little too thin, girl. What's going on? So Angela's trying to defend herself. And the look at her is like, you do know ribs are not sexy. Nobody's calling overseas to be like, oh, let me send some money to those skinny kids in Africa. No, ribs are not sexy. <laughs> so that's kind of the stuff that I write. Because at some point in time, you have seen the commercials that send some money overseas to save these kids. And you're not thinking, oh, yeah, there are some sexy looking kids. Let me send them a check. No, you're like, they're hungry. Let me send them some money. Yet we have this deception that we want to make every woman in every one of these books tall, underweight, and fabulous. And sometimes somebody has to tell you, that's not cute or sexy. <laughs> now, you, um, you had time in the military before. and that, So do you, do you find that you use a lot of that experience in your writing? It comes across faster than I can actually plan. Isis, one of my characters, is a prior vet. And a lot of the military 
I want to say, principles tend to come across, whether I like it or not. So a lot of my characters do have that sense of, I think, urgency that sometimes we don't have. If you haven't been in the service, there's always that sense of, like, time is taken away, and we must hurry. Now, out of all your books, what's been your favorite one to write? Ooh, right now, probably, I'm trying to think. I am working on a post-apocalyptic, still very urban fantasy series, which is Chronicles of Elijah and Elijah. So Recruited right now is probably my favorite, probably because it takes place in the future. It is a future where you have a war between witches and literally humans again. But it is also the fact that everything's in zombies, yet the zombies are not the most scary things out there. It's actually the humans if you happen to be a witch. So it is taking some of those elements and going, okay, especially because one of my main characters happens to be a necromancer cat that can control zombies, so he's not terrified of them, but just his pets. So now let's let's talk about um, your social media website and information of how you like to interact with readers or, or do you and stuff like that. How, how do people get a hold of you? I am usually trying to be a very active on Facebook, and now I have joined TikTok. So I'm learning the TikTok community so people can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram as well as Facebook. That's as much as my mind can handle at any given time. Any more than that, I might lose my mind. So I have to kind of maintain fairly small social media sites. But anybody who wants to just literally connect, you can send me a message through any of those. Or just swing by my website and send me an email if you're old school and like emails. I still love emails. I don't know if anybody does, but I do enjoy. I have a newsletter that goes out. So you can get motivations, emails from me on Monday. And you can get a fabulous newsletter from one of my characters, which is Constantine, which is a five-dozen-year-old talking cat, once a month. And he'll give you all his amazing updates. So in my website is dcgomez-author.com. Of course, we'll put that up on our website so people can find it with one click and find you easily if they can't uh, remember it. Um, you have an old cat that uh, gives people um, things to do. <laughs> Here's the really scary thought. I am the undercover cat lady, but I only have one <laughs> Yes, I only have one cat. So I have been asked in many interviews, and especially when I go to events, like, do you see how many cats you have? Like, one. But he counts for, like, a five. So when he was younger, anybody who has cats understand when he was younger, everybody was like, are you going to get him a little plate made? I was like, I'll be outnumbered. No. <laughs> well, I, 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 have, I was going to say I have a cat. And uh, I, I was going to ask you, like, how do you get anything done? You don't at <laughs> yeah, right, all. Right. So for writers who have cats, let me explain. We are never going to get carpal tunnel because you're not going to spend more than an hour and a half writing. There will be this little mm. creature who thinks you need a break so yep. they can get a treat. They will jump at you. And by the way, my cat never loves me as much until I'm writing. He exactly. hates my, oh, my God. He hates my laptop more than he hates anything else. So anytime <laughs> there's something going on, it's like, let me save you from this thing on your lap. And then they sit in front of you. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I was looking for tips. <laughs> tips is breathe. You practice <laughs> meditation. And then you do the whole petting and think, okay. So I call it my um, chincha. My cat's name is chincha. I call it my chincha calisthenics. So every hour and a half, I'm doing little, like, little arm pushes because I pick him up and put him down, and he'll jump back, and then he comes back. I was like, God, I'm going to have amazing arms at the end of this book. I can guarantee you. 
<laughs> well, you know, when we talked about the books before, you've written so many, it looks like you've done quite a few. Um, what would you think would be the best book that someone should pick up of yours if they've never heard of you before or read any of your books? If you are looking for fantasy, and that's the catch, if you enjoy fantasy, pick up the intern diary because it will give you a fun introduction into this crazy world. If you do not like magic, please do not pick up the series because it doesn't get better. Like the magic just progresses into more. So if you are not a magical reader, that might not be the series. If you're much more into the humorous kind of action, pick up the Cat Lady special. So I write, and kind of my tagline for most people is, I write quirky characters with an attitude and lots of madness. So if you enjoy that, I'm your girl. If not, yeah, I might not be able to help you guys. So what do you got coming up next? Like what, what will be next in 2023 for you? For 23, I am looking at doing the last book for Eric, which is Deployed. So that's kind of on the pot to see how quickly it does. I have been judging between doing the second book in Elijah or doing another Cat Lady. So it's kind of which one I'm going to get excited for. It's kind of hard to pick. So I think I might just put it all in a bowl and just pick one. Like literally, I'm like, pick one and go from there. You're not going to kill off Eric, are you? Oh, my God, I'll have so many people trying to beat me up. No. I like living. <laughs> well, you said the last one, and it's called Deployed. It sounds kind of eerie, like it's not, not a good ending here. No, no. It would be an ending to that storyline. And then we'll move to something else. Eric needs to go find crime somewhere else. Oh, okay. So he's got still got lots to go and stuff. So who who do you um, – Who's your favorite writer? Ooh, it is a toss-up between Kim Harrison and Jim Butcher. Granted, this month, I want to say in the last couple of weeks, I have been literally binging on the audiobook The Lost Metal by Brendan Sanderson. I'm, like, hooked on this book. Normally, my only audiobooks that I adore are Neil Gaiman's, but this one has definitely got me hooked. I, don't, I can have to admit, it's pretty fun. What? Why? What is it about a book that will hook you like that? What? What is it that is kind of uh, the thing that uh, gets you going? Probably because I'm very character-driven. I like the richness in the characters. His characters kind of bring you into their storyline and kind of, they're not perfect. They all have all these messiness and ulterior motives, and they're all hiding something from each other while they're trying to all work together. So it's the same thing with Kim Harrison's books. You have this layer of insanity where they're still trying to save the world, which is really, really fun. I like my books, especially my fantasies that have a faster pace. So Brandon does an amazing job of having about 20-minute chapters that kind of move with a purpose. I'm not much that wants too much of the color commentating. Sometimes I just want to score and let's move on to the next one. So books that can keep a very fast pace and can keep me turning pages very quickly will hook me very long. If you have pages of description, you will probably lose me very quickly. Do you ever get kind of caught up um, and stuck? When you're writing, you know, like a writer's block or a kind of a, a, a time period where you can't seem to go move forward with it? I have found myself stuck when I'm afraid to start a new story. So anytime that I know the story is going to have a lot of emotional drain or if we're going to have to do something very difficult, I will postpone writing as much as possible. This will be the time that my house will look amazing. Like I will look impeccable. My social media will have posts forever because I'm avoiding writing. So it 
once I commit to it and I can actually walk myself through that process, the writing flows. But I usually tend to do a lot of, I guess, procrastination in terms like, I'll exercise, I'll go ride my bike, I'll go for a walk, I'll do everything but sit down. Just because once I sit down, I tend to get very tunnel vision, and that's all I'm going to do. Do you find it hard to do other things when you're writing then, like you can't break away? Yes. It is very much. I also feel very bad for the people in my life because once I start a book, they're not going to see me for like two months. I'm gone. Like you're, I'm very much is like feast or famine. I'm either in or I'm out. And if I'm writing, you're not going to see me. I try to be a little better with a trader and still try to have a life but for the most part. On my regular writing process, you're not going to see me. It will be like a black hole, and DC will be gone until I'm done. You ever think about trying a different type of, uh, of of writing, like something like comedy or or detective or um, something completely different? I wanted to do a lot of cozy mystery, and then I'm finding out that my fantasy itself is cozy fantasy because it always ends in that happy ending. And it doesn't have the gruesome. It doesn't have the sex scene. So my fantasy has that cozy fantasy feel. So I will have to try something very different. I write in multiple genres already. So like I do children's books. I have done devotionals. So picking different things is not bad. It does give people in my life, especially ones who are trying to help me market, a heart attack. They're like, girl, we hate you. Do you know how hard it is to do this? I was like, I'm sorry. But this would be great. I'm like the little kid, literally. I get an idea. I like, Oh my God, we're going to do this. And everybody gets excited until they realize, Oh my God, why? Why are we doing this? Like, can you make life easy? Do you do anything to uh, relax and recharge after, uh, after writing a book? I have now have my own little tradition. Every time I'm done with a story or a project, and especially a book, I actually treat myself to a movies. I was buying purses and that was getting fairly expensive. So I was like, you need something <laughs> else like that. Something that doesn't cost hundreds of dollars. So now we're doing movies. I treat myself to a movie. And if I actually finish a chapter that I thought was very, very difficult, I was like, huh, I need a little treat to the movies it is. <laughs> what do, you, do you have a favorite urban fantasy series or movie? Or you think someone that's really good on, on any of the streaming networks? I am actually, believe it or not, have been hooked on Wednesday. So if you haven't seen Tim Burton, amazing. Pick, just binge on it. It's only eight episodes, so it's not bad. It is fabulous. Believe it or not, one that most people going, okay, not in your genre, is the BBC Sherlock Holmes. It's literally, what, 10 years, almost 12 years old when the first one came out? Yeah. That entire series, I can binge all week long and be lost in the story and still be completely satisfied and just get lost in it. So, yeah. Huh. I wonder why. I wonder why that, because it's so, it is so different. Completely different. I like the search. I like the mystery. I like... The way the characters interact with each other all goes back to character. It goes back to that plot. And also the fact that they're all so flawed. I think perfect characters tend to make me a little nervous because it's hard to live up to that expectation. Nobody's that good. Nobody's that bad. So you need a little bit of that grayness in order to be able to pull it off. Right. You need to have a uh, some sort of realism behind the character. Something. They have, they, they, they got to have mistakes. they got to have things that they do wrong or things that happen to them that aren't perfect. Yes. You know, otherwise it's, uh, it becomes too superheroish, you know. And even those, let's think about it, some of the best superhero movies is like Iron Man because he's full of flaws. You can be like, oh, my God, really? Mr. Sparks, is that really where we're going with? We like the people that we can relate because they have been through struggles and adversity and have overcome them. 
not because everything was perfect and they did everything amazing. It is those layers that makes it go. Mm, I can understand. We don't have to agree, but we can understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. And so, who would you like to work with, or do, would you, or did you hate people, or do you like to work with people? <laughs> Is there any one author that you would be thrilled to work with? I love working with people. I have never actually worked with another author in a book, so that to me is a little scary because I don't know how the process will work for me. Just how my writing style works. But dream goal and something I'm sending to the universe. I would love to collaborate with Neil Gaiman. Like, I know, talk about, like, superstar. Like, kind of like my big dream. Love his works. Love everything he does. His books totally in the urban fantasy, fantasy realms, like, fill my mind with amazing visuals. So I would love to work with him. So, yeah, magic the world. Let's put that up to the universe. Okay. Neil Gaiman, I'll have to look him up. I guess he writes. <laughs> just a little. Just, just a little. Just, just a little. I, I... Yeah, he... I've been hearing his name and just like that Stephen King guy or whatever. But yeah. Who? I know. Yeah, I'm kind of getting, yeah. I'm kind of getting over that. I hear that one too much. That's just crazy, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It couldn't be a real name either. King, please. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you. This has been a really interesting uh, little little chinwag. Really appreciate being on the show. And uh, now your book, The Traitor. And it's the Order's Assassin book two. Now that's out now, isn't it? It is. It is an ebook out. The paperback will be coming out in January for anybody who's willing to wait that long. You guys can definitely be an amazing journey for everyone. And gentlemen, it's always such a pleasure and such an honor just talking to you guys and spending this time with you. So thank you so much for inviting me back. Well, thank you. Our guest, DC Gomez. Good luck with your holiday and 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 everything else, and right through the new year. Same to you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, DC. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is a production of Something Wave Media. I'll be back.